Welcome to this week's episode of Compound Your Knowledge. This is a special first ever quarantine edition of the show where Jack and I are going to be coming in at you from our uh, remote home offices or whatever you want to call this. We're going to talk about the value signals. Is it dead? Is it still alive? Um, And then we're going to talk a little bit about some momentum and low volatility and value and good stuff that we always talk about, but have put a fresh take on it. So let's talk about long run research to help our investment portfolios. This paper we'll talk about first was written by Larry Swedro. Uh, he titled it on our blog, Is There Something Wrong With The Value Premium? I'll read the intro, Jack, and then, you know, you can kind of jump into how, you know, what, what your takeaway from uh, the research here was. Larry starts it, the dramatic underperformance of the value premium since 2018 among the largest drawdowns in history has led many to question its existence. It is certainly possible that what economists call a regime change could cause assumptions for why the premium should exist slash persist to have changed. For example, if it was purely behavioral based, the publication of the findings of a premium could lead to its disappearance as cash flows shift valuations, eliminating the anomaly. Or it could be that some change in the economy has led to the increasing rate of earnings growth of growth companies relative to the rate of earnings growth of value companies. Thanks to the research team at AQR Capital Management, we can examine if there has been a regime change that could cause our belief if the value premium is to change. For example, investors tend to be overly optimistic about the future of earnings growth for growth companies and too pessimistic about the future of earnings growth for value companies. This is behavioral explanation for the value premium. Perhaps this has disappeared. I'll give an example of that and, and, you know, uh, you know, why maybe the behavior, a good story for why the behavioral premium may have disappeared. I remember when Facebook went public, everyone, or, you know, I shouldn't say everyone, but many, you know, many investors had the scars from the 2008 drawdown, as well as the remembering the, you know, 2000, 2001 drawdown in tech stocks. They wanted to say that Facebook was simply the next MySpace. And then Facebook just kept surprising on its earnings growth, uh, you know, and the st- stock kept rallying up. That's a good story. And maybe you know, investors now undervalue growth companies. But Jack, what did Larry Swedro's slash AQR's analysis show here on, on the value and uh, momentum strategies? Do, do they still predict surprises? Yeah. So let me share the screen here. Right. So, you know, one, one of the questions, and this is just looking at this chart here, right, is, hey, how well do, you know, value momentum, <clears throat> how these portfolios do it, surprise, uh, predicting earnings surprises, right? And in the past, what was true is that this, these portfolios were actually pretty good at predicting earnings surprises. And so if for some reason we saw like this crazy change where it's like, hey, the computer's super smart. Maybe the stupid, simple value momentum strategy doesn't work anymore because it can't predict earnings, 
right? That would be a legit maybe concern. Uh, but what they found was, you know, the past two years, like over here, it's actually in line with generally what happened in the past. So number one, it, it actually is still kind of predicting, you know, uh, at least what was similar in the past, the earnings surprise. Can you can you explain that though? Like, what what are we looking at in that in that chart? You know what? Yeah, just just can you walk us through that chart exactly how it's showing us that it's predicting earnings surprises? Yeah, I mean, in general, what that chart is looking at, right, is it, it's taking a look at the, the percent of earnings surprises predicted correctly, right? And so, uh, you know, what they're doing is you can say, okay, what percentage of the time do earnings surprise relative to what, you know, analysts are predicting to the upside, right? And so if it predicted it only 40% of the time, then well, that's a losing bet, right? You'd be better off just flipping coins. If it's higher than 50%, you'd be like, okay, well, that makes sense. And so what you see is it's around like 54% historically, and that's generally what it was the past couple of years. Gotcha. Um, and then it, it gets into the next chart on that page that all the outperformance of growth over the recent past has been due to the change in valuations as the spread between value and growth stocks has widened dramatically. Why is that important? Um, well, I mean, so just looking at the chart, what it's showing, right, this chart here, is essentially, you know, and this is doing value score, Z score of, you know, value relative to growth, industry neutral is how AQR measures it. Um, and what they're just saying is, hey, you know, in general, these spreads between value and growth have uh, expanded the past couple of years, um, which is interesting in that, you know, it, it would probably be, you'd be, more, I would be more concerned as a value investor if I saw the past year and a half's performance and relative underperformance and this spread didn't increase, right? So essentially what this chart's saying is value on like a value, a multiple type basis has gotten way cheaper relative to growth than what it was, let's say in like 2017. Um, and if you assume that there's going to be some like reversion to the mean, well, that's like a, in general, you would hope that value would uh, do well when that reversion occurs. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And let's just skip to the next part, viewing the question from another angle, fundamental momentum. Larry says, we have yet another example of evidence that there has been no regime change that caused a change in the belief that the value premium should persist. In his February 2015 paper, Fundamentally, Momentum is a Fundamental Momentum, Professor Robert Novi Marx presented evidence suggesting that momentum in stock prices isn't an independent anomaly. Instead, it's driven by fundamental momentum. It's a weak expression of earnings momentum reflecting the tendency of stocks that have recently announced strong earnings to outperform going forward stocks that have recently announced weak earnings. Novi Marx found that momentum in firm fundamentals, i.e. earnings momentum, explains the performance of strategies based on price momentum. It holds for both large and small stocks. Jack, 
you wrote a whole book titled Quantitative Momentum, looking at the research on momentum investing. What is your general takeaway here? Yeah, so what, uh, uh, like we actually have a whole, if you go into the appendix chapter of Quantitative Momentum, we have eight pages, single space dedicated to that exact paper, right? So cool paper highlights that price momentum, which can seem crazy for like value people, right? You're just buying the past winners on price, but price momentum is related to fundamental momentum, okay? And so going back to this, AQR uses a fundamental momentum as a part of the momentum strategy, as well as price momentum, right? And so what they highlight in their paper, I'm gonna pull up these two charts, uh, the re really neat findings. So the first one is this, right? Let me just walk you through it. So fundamental momentum is just your past year's like earnings growth, i.e. your fundamentals have grown. And so historically, how well did firms that have positive earnings do, right? Like they had fundamental momentum, right? They did well, right? The middle bar is short-term forecasted EPS growth and the, the bar over here, which is negligible for historical average is long-term forecasted EPS growth, right? So what they find here is crazily, right? 18, 19 cumulatively, Firms that grew earnings actually had like negative realized results. So if you're using fundamental momentum, you actually would have had like bad returns, which is kind of crazy, right? And so what, and what they highlight is that really what the market appears to be valuing and giving like higher multiples on happens to be small, <clears throat> a small amount positive returns for short-term forecast. So basically you know, next year, next two years. So people are actually really caring about the future. But then look at this. This is the long-term forecast of earnings per share growth. So what happened here is apparently in the past two years, if you were firms that were saying, hey, in five years, and analysts are like, hey, we're going to, this firm is going to grow earnings by 30% annually for five years, the market highly valued and gave you a good return. And this is crazy because it's actually similar to the tech bubble. What happened in the tech bubble? If you made money, your stock went down, right? And if you were saying, hey, I'm going to have crazy future returns, your stock went up, right? That's amazing. So this is a pretty cool chart highlighting uh, what happened if you did fundamental momentum. And then the last chart that they talk about, which just highlights again, if you had long-term future forecasts of earnings per share group, i.e. the analyst community is saying, hey, three or again, this is beyond a year, but let's, I'm just saying three to five years in hypothetical. But if you basically are saying, hey, in three to five years, we're going to have tons of earnings, your stock did well the past couple of years, right? Relative to if you actually, you know, had earnings or were a value stock, you know, you underperformed, right? And that kind of ties back right here where we see if you use fundamental momentum, these, these firms, actually the market did not reward earnings per share growth, which is kind of crazy, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's extremely intuitive once you see the data and, and you know what happened in the market the past year. Yep. But that's crazy to see as well. Yeah, your, your best bet would have been to promise or get the market to believe that you're gonna have higher earnings. Uh, than actually generating higher earnings. 
Yep. Yep. And the last thing in that one chart, just to highlight too, which is to talk about, hey, well, maybe is there some weird negative correlation between value and momentum? Like we always talk about this. What the heck? Actually, it actually did have this. And this was, remember, this was around like the WeWork IPO when they thought they were worth, you know, 60 billion in the market. Yeah. They were worth five or 10, right? I forget the exact number, but basically a lot. And you saw, hey, value did awesome. Momentum got killed, right? So yeah. value momentum still have these negative correlations. Good. Um, it just happens to be that over these past two years, you know, those premiums were not rewarded. And so, you know, neat paper, uh, neat summary by Larry, great research by the AQR team. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's an amazing explanation too. It helps explain why growth outperformed both value and momentum over the last year, um, which normally, I guess there is, if there ever is a normal, you would have expected a, a pure momentum portfolio to keep up with, you know, a growth portfolio in a time like this. Um, but even momentum kind of lagged for it for that reason you just showed. And that makes intuitive sense now. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so we're still confident momentum works. That was a weird year. We're still confident uh, value works. Um, we can just quick run through this next paper. It was from uh, Nicholas uh, Rabiner, and he said the title is Low Volatility Momentum versus Value Momentum Factor Portfolios. In this short research note, we pit global low volatility momentum uh, factor investing portfolios, he points out as the Lawrence Hamtill favorite, against global value momentum factor investings, which is uh, Alpha Architect favorite. Jack. Just hit us with, as he did, you can just hit us with the punchline there. Yeah. So again, the question and the study by Factor Research, uh, Nicholas does a great job with a lot of his articles and his research. But the question is, hey, as opposed to doing value momentum, what happened if I did low volume momentum, right? So just to highlight what the question is, he does it in a uh, couple ways. Um, and that's just to highlight, he wants to test how does low volume momentum do relative to value momentum. Yep. And then, you know, he goes to say, if you're looking for absolute returns, go with value and momentum. If you're looking for risk adjusted returns, both approaches essentially wind up in the same place. Uh, he says with an arguable edge going to low vol and momentum. Yep, and I'm gonna highlight that here. So real quick, okay, you no, know, if you if you want to look, so this is really the first image in his post, right? So he does it via different ways. So you can do it by either intersectional, right? And so what does that mean? It means universal stocks is sim sorted simultaneously by both factors, right? Or a combination where you sort separately. So you do you know low vol then momentum or value then momentum and then you combine the two portfolios, right? So comparing here, this is on returns. If you wanted to do low vol and momentum, which are the blue bars here, relative to value and momentum, the green bars, you really need to compare the first bar with the third bar, right? Because that's like using the same methodology, right? And so what you see is on in the US, on the intersec intersectional basis, low vol and momentum did well, 
but not as good as value momentum because this is the market. And then when we do the combination approach, they're the same. So on absolute returns in general, you know, bar three and four did better than one and two. But when we get, and again, these are just across different universes. So US on the left, Europe in the middle, Japan on the right. When we do risk adjusted sharp type ratios, so here's a sharp ratio here, we see value momentum generally did better in US and Europe, not as much in Japan. So that's where he kind of gets to the result of value momentum did better on absolute. If we want to do risk adjusted, low volume momentum did better in two of the three markets, but they were similar. Gotcha. I mean, yeah, I, and, I, and I think that that that's all a pretty good takeaway. The the, the paper uh, continues to go on, but let's just jump right to the the final horse race, or or unless you want to hit on something else in between, Jack. But I, I'm just skipping down to the final horse race: global low vol and momentum against global value and momentum. Uh, what happens when we when we compare all those together with a global equities portfolio? Yeah, so this is the last image in his in his uh, research post that was posted on our thing. What you notice, we have low volume momentum on the left, value momentum in the middle, right? So on an absolute return basis, you know, value momentum did better. When we account for volatility, we see value momentum have more volatility, right? And then on drawdowns, you know, low volume momentum did slightly better than value momentum. Um, so again, both decent approaches, good approaches, um, and highlight, which is neat if, you, if we talk through in the paper, low vol does have a nice lower volatility, or sorry, lower correlation to momentum than I would say some of the other factors, which is why uh, <clears throat> Nicholas chose to combine those two factors. Good stuff. All right. We hit on value. We hit on momentum. We hit on low volatility, all the research around that. Anything else to add, Jack? No, just uh, for those listening on the podcast, you might want to watch the video in the beginning just to see the, uh, the images on some of the mutual fund ETF conversation. I think that might be interesting, worthwhile video uh, <clears throat> playback. Yeah, this this yeah this this one was heavy on heavy on the charts, so could could be a benefit to watching on video instead of listening along podcast. All right, everybody, that's what we got this week for compound your knowledge. Stay safe out there. Stay quarantined. We appreciate you watching and listening along. We'll see you again next week. The views expressed in this recording are the personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of Alpha Architect itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The information in this recording is based on current market conditions which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. Alpha Architect does not resume any duty to update forward-looking statements. The information in this recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made or given by or on behalf of Alpha Architect as to the accuracy and completeness or fairness of the information contained in this recording.
any liability as a result of this recording, including direct, indirect, special, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2018, Alpha Architect, LLC. All rights reserved.